Welcome to the Southcrest Live podcast. If this is your first time to listen, please connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. This week on Southcrest Live, featuring Dr. David Wilson, we pick up our study, Knowing and Growing, from 2 Peter. And this week's message, the Apostle Peter tackles a question that not only occupied the thoughts of his first century readers, but also occupies the thoughts of 21st century Christians. The question, why is Jesus taking so long to return? Turn to 2 Peter 3, verse 8, as we hear, Why the delay in the second coming? from Pastor David Wilson. It's good to know you're not alone. Sometimes you feel lonely. God never forsakes us. He never leaves us. And joining together here, aren't you glad you're not the only one? Kind of reminds me of a little boy that in the middle of the night got afraid and he went into where his mom and dad were and they said, son, there's no use to being afraid. The Lord is in there with you. And he said, I know that, but sometimes I just need somebody with skin on. (laughs) Well, we know the Lord doesn't leave us or forsake us, but when we come to church, we see other people. We just got, we know God's here, but he's got skin on because you're here with us. Open your Bible, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8 and 9, where we're going to cover today. I want to remind you that Peter is writing to those who've been scoffing at the second coming of the Lord. The whole whole chapter of uh, chapter 3 deals with that. And last week, we looked in verse 4 and said, where's the promise of his coming? Well, just because the Lord hasn't come doesn't mean that he's not coming. And that's what we want to look at. Why? Why hasn't he already come? As far as I'm concerned, he's missed a lot of good opportunities already. Don't you agree? But we're not God, and there's a reason that he hasn't come. I'm reminded of a story of a, of, a, of a man who claimed he had the world's best coon dog. Now, I don't know if you've ever been coon hunting. I, I went coon hunting one time many years ago in South Arkansas, and it's quite an experience to go in. You have to go do it in the middle of the night, and you, you don't have enough trees around here to do coon hunting. You'd have to do groundhog hunting or something around here. But... But this guy claimed he had the best coon dog in the world. He said, this coon dog's not only the fastest, but he's never wrong. He's never lies. If he barks up a tree, there's a coon up that tree. His buddy said, I want to see this dog work. So they went out one night, coon hunting. And sure enough, they hadn't been out 10 minutes. This one dog had a coon treed. And and this went on time after time for several hours. And then all of a sudden, this dog came up to about a 20-foot sapling didn't have a leaf on it. It was about this big around, so there was no hole in it. This dog started barking up this tree, and his buddy looked at him and said, I thought you said this dog never lies. He said, well, I forgot to tell you, it doesn't happen very often, but occasionally this dog is so fast that sometimes he gets here before the coon does. (laughs) You just sit down there. He'll be along in a few minutes. I want you to know that just because the Lord hadn't come back doesn't mean he's not coming back. In fact, a lot of people scoff today saying, you Christians have been saying for 2,000 years that Jesus is going to return. And he hadn't come back. It's just a bunch of folklore. It's It's a fairy tale. 
Well, he also said that the false teacher's theological error came from their own desires and their own lustful greed and their lifestyles. There was an atheist farmer who was often ridiculing believers because of their belief in God. And he wrote a letter to the editor of the local newspaper. And in that letter, he scoffed. He said, I plowed on Sunday. I planted on Sunday. I cultivated on Sunday. I hauled in my crops on Sunday. And I never went to church on Sunday. Yet, I harvested more bushels per acre than anyone else, even those who were God-fearing and never miss a service. Well, the editor printed the man's letter and then added this remark. God doesn't always settle his accounts in October. You see, God just hadn't settled the account yet. Now, I want us to talk for a few minutes why the delay in the second coming. You'll notice in verse 8, Peter says, Beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. So the first thing we're going to notice that why the Lord hadn't returned is because of God's limitlessness. God is infinite. There's no limit to God. And you and I have a hard time understanding that. Peter is actually referring back, <coughs> excuse me, to Psalm 90, verse 2 and verse 4, where this, that psalm was written by Moses. It's one of the oldest psalms that we have. But in that psalm, Moses is comparing the brevity, the shortness of life of man, and the limitlessness, the eternality, the infiniteness of God. In fact, verse 2 says, before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. And verse 4 says, for a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it is past. And that sounds a lot like verse 8, where he says, uh, don't forget this thing, with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. We are defined by time. You have a beginning and we'll have an end, at least here on the earth. Now, we're not going to die eternally because we have been given eternal life. Once you have existence, you, you never cease to exist again. There's life. You have life. This body has a limit. Aren't you glad it has a limit? You don't want this one for eternity. But God has no beginning. God has no end. And when the Bible says that God is infinite, he means that he's not limited in time. God looks at all time as equal, past, present, future. He sees it all. Now, we can see the past. We forget a lot. We have a limited view of the present because we don't know everything that's going on. And we have a very limited view of the future because all we have is the prophecy that's been given to us. And it's very limited. So we don't know what's going to happen in the future. But God is not limited by time. God doesn't wear a watch. He's never late. He's never early. He's not limited by time. It's immaterial to him. It's all equal. He created time. He created the 24-hour day. He created time that you and I have. He tells us to number our days. He intended for man not to be worried about time, to live forever. And when man sinned, he had to put him out of the garden lest he eat of the tree of life and live forever in his sin. 
But you and I need to understand that God doesn't look at time like you and I do. In fact, there's three words in the Bible that describe God. There's more than three words, but three that really describe his uh, essence all begin with the word omni, O-M-N-I, which means all or complete or full. It, It means total. And so the Bible tells us that God is omnipresent. That means he can be everywhere. You can't be two places at one time. As many times as you've said that and wish you could, you can't be at home and at church at the same time. It's impossible. But God can be everywhere. Satan is not omnipresent. Only God is omnipresent, can be everywhere. He's not limited by space or time. He's also omnipotent which means he's all-powerful. There's no limit to God. You have a limit. Some of you can lift a lot more weight than I can, but you still have your limit. You can't lift 2,000 pounds by yourself. I don't care how much you brag, you can't do it because it's never been done by a man to lift two. I don't think. I may be lying, but I don't think. Let's just say over his head, 2,000 pounds. My could deadlift. I don't know. And, and folks, you do know that people like Spider-Man and Superman and all those guys aren't real. You do know that, right? Okay. <laughs> Just so you'll know. I don't want to have somebody come up and say, well, Superman can do it. Well, and Superman can fly too, but God is omnipotent. He's all powerful. There's not anything he can't do except lie. He can't lie, obviously. He's holy. He's also not only omnipresent and omnipotent, but he's omniscient, which means he knows everything. You know, we have a limited knowledge and, and it's a limit to what we can do and what we know, but God's understanding is not limited. God can be everywhere. God is everywhere. God has all power and God is all knowing. He is infinite. I got amused to reading about a Christian's elementary school. The kids were in the line in the cafeteria. They were going through the line. At the beginning of the line was a big plate of apples, and there was a sign in front of it that said, take only one apple, God is watching. And at the end of the line, there was a big plate of chocolate chip cookies. And one of the kids had written a note that said, take all the cookies you want, God's watching the apples. But I want you to know God can watch the apples and the cookies at the same time. Now, to say all of that, you need to understand that God is not limited like you and me. And when Peter says that a thousand years equals one day or is is as one day, he didn't say it equals one day. It's not a definite equation. It's an analogy. He said, a thousand years to God is as one day to you. Well, most of us can't conceive what the world was like a thousand years ago. You have no idea. There may be one or two of you that remember, but most of us don't know what the, church, what the world was like a thousand years ago. You and I can't conceive it. It was yesterday compared with God. I heard about a guy talking to God who said, God can I ask you a question. God said, sure. He said, what's a million years to you? And God said, it's like a second to you. 
The man said, well, God, what's a million dollars worth to you? And God said, a million dollars is like a penny to you. The man said, well, God, would you give me a penny? And God said, in a second. <laughs> we're, we're bound by time. Uh, uh, a moron, a, a whatever you want to call him. Excuse me, sir, what time is it? The man said, it's 3.15. And that guy looked puzzled. He said, you know, it's the weirdest thing. I've been asking that question all day, and each time I get a different answer. <laughs> time. The best way I can try and anytime you try to compare this to humans, it always breaks down. But let's use little kids for a moment. Little kids. You tell a, a three or four-year-old your birthday is in two months. They have no concept of that. They'll ask you every day, is it my birthday today? Is it my birthday today? Or, better yet, you take three or four of them, put them in a car, and say, we're going to go on a 12-hour trip. And 30 minutes down the road, they start the question, are we there yet? That's similar to how we view time and, and God views time. Obviously, God is not bound by time. But you need to understand that God is not limited. God doesn't even care about time. Now, let's, let's make this practical for a moment. Some of you may have been going through something for a long time. Maybe you've gone through some suffering. Maybe you're about to enter some difficult times. Maybe you, I, I don't know. And we've all got some of those things that seem like they went on forever. But they didn't. But you know, there are instances in the scripture that that we, we can easily overlook. For example, in Genesis 42, you'll read about Joseph. Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers to, to the Egyptians. And then when he was in Egypt, he served in Potiphar's house. And Potiphar's wife made an advance toward him. And he rejected that. And she lied about him. And then he wound up in prison. And an Egyptian prison was no great place to be. And he's probably in his 20s. When this happens, and he meets the king's baker, and he meets the king's cupbearer, and he interprets their dreams, remember? And when the cupbearer is released, he begs the cupbearer, please tell Pharaoh about me so that maybe I can be released. Cupbearer gets out, he forgets until Pharaoh has a dream. But listen to this verse, Genesis 42, 1. Now it happened at the end of two full years that Pharaoh had a dream. So how long did Joseph probably pray, Lord, let me out of here. It's because I'm following you that I'm in prison today. I was obedient to you. And, oh, Lord, how long are you going to wait? Well, two years to you and me is a long time. We're not told why God waited two years. God could have given Pharaoh a dream two weeks or two days or months, but he waited two full years. I don't know why, but Joseph trusted in a sovereign God. And, and it's also interesting that later Joseph says to his brothers in Genesis 50 verse 20, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good 
God had a sovereign purpose when he allowed Jacob's descendants as, to stay as slaves in Egypt for 400 years. And then, and then the time between Malachi and John the Baptist, the Old Testament and the New Testament, 400 years, they were silent. That seems like such a long time. In God's eyes, that's half a day, less than half a day. And yet Paul writes in Galatians 4, 4, that in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son. You see, God's never late. He's never early. He doesn't wear a watch. He's not bound by time. So Peter is applying this truth, the limitlessness, the infiniteness of God, and he's saying, you guys are scoffing. You think God is slow in his promise. You think that he's not coming back. And by the way, when he writes this letter, it's only been 30-something years since Jesus ascended into heaven, and they're already saying it's the mid-60s, not the 1960s, the mid-60s. AD. And he, he said, he's not coming back. You've been waiting on him to come back. He's not coming back. And now today they say, you, you neurotic Christians, y'all been looking for the return of Jesus and the end of the world and the judgment of God for 2000 years. And he's still not here. It's a myth. It's a fairy tale. And yet in God's eyes, it's been two days since Jesus left. And do you understand this? Because she and I can't fathom that. It, it seems like such a long time. But our task is not to question when he's going to return, but to be watching and waiting and know. Now, we are given prophecy, and we see the prophecy fulfilling, and we know that we're closer than we've ever been. But only God knows when he's going to say enough is enough. But just because he hasn't come does not mean he's not coming. We're supposed to be, I'll compare it to the little boy who was standing in a department store staring at the escalator. He's at the bottom of the escalator. He's got his eyes on it, staring at it. A salesman asked him, son, are you okay? Yes, yes, ma'am, I'm fine. Never quit looking. Are, are you lost? No, ma'am, I'm not lost. Then what are you doing here? He said, I am waiting for my gum to return. <laughs> He didn't know when, but he knew it was going to happen. Well, you and I don't know when Jesus is going to return. We know it's going to happen. We know it. And just because it's been 2,000 years since he's been gone doesn't mean he's not coming. So we're to be encouraged. When you stop and think about it, our lifetime really is short, isn't it, compared to eternity? You think about eternity. You can't fathom it. You multiply tens by 10,000 by 10,000 by 10,000 years, and you never stop multiplying it in eternity. And you and I, we think we've got such a long time here on the earth. But in God's eyes, it's just like that. We don't have long. Another reason he hasn't come back because of his long-suffering Verse 9 says, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us. It's two different words for long-suffering in the New Testament. One of them speaks of being patient. It's the word hupomone, uh, I think. It, it, it means that you're being patient. You're being long-suffering in your circumstances. 
Sometimes your circumstances are very trying, aren't they? And you're trying to be patient and long-suffering in your circumstances. But the word here is macrothumia, and it's used every time to indicate the patience with people. And God is being patient with people. Aren't you glad Jesus hasn't returned yet? Or aren't you glad he didn't return before you became a believer? He's being patient. Psalm 145, 8 says, The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. God is not slow in keeping his promise, as some count slowness, is what he says back in verse 4. In 1 Peter chapter 3, Peter, 1 Peter chapter 3, Peter compares the second coming with the days of Noah. And how God was patient during the days of Noah, allowing people to be taught the righteousness or the coming judgment. And it took a hundred years for Noah to build that ark. And it was a hundred years before it rained. But during that hundred years, people were being told about him, about the, about the Lord. None responded except for Noah and his family. But he was being patient. And you and I look today, and I, I'm telling you, we see people more and more defiant toward God, even more vocally. That wasn't too long ago, one of these ladies that got some kind of award for acting basically said, Jesus didn't have anything to do with this. I did this all on my own. And she said some things that were kind of blasphemous. Amen. I was thinking, you know, it's a good thing I'm not God because you'd be a burnt spot right now. <laughs> Why? Why does God put up with that? Why does he put up with this nonsense? Why does he put up with all the scoffing and the more and more immoral that man is and the more defiant man is and the more blatant man is? Why does he put up with it? Because he's patient. He's long-suffering. God's been patient with you and me a long time, hadn't he? Man, I think of all the times I should have been a burnt spot on the ground. God's still waiting on some of you to come. He's being patient. That's why he hadn't come. He's long-suffering. There's still another reason he hadn't come, and it's because of God's love. In verse 9, it says, He's not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. Folks, if, if you know somebody that believes in universalism, which basically states that everyone's going to be saved, which we know the Scripture does not teach that. This is their theme verse right here. God's not willing that any should perish. Well, just because God doesn't want people God doesn't want people to perish does not mean they're not going to. Because the world is separated from God because of defiance and sin. And God has done being doing everything. He's put everything in the way. Let's just say this is the road to hell. The word perish there does not mean you're going to be annihilated. A lot of people think, well, I don't believe in a literal hell. I, I believe there's a literal heaven, but not a literal hell. Because when you die and if you go to hell, you're just going to be annihilated and you'll cease to exist. No, that's not true. 
The word perish means the second death. It doesn't mean you're going to be annihilated. It means that you're going to live apart from God in eternity in hell. Now, you say, well, why would God send me to hell? You're not, he's not. You're already on the road if you don't know Jesus. Your sin separated you from God, which brings death. The wages of sin is death. So what is God doing? He's getting in the way. Hey, hey, I've given you my word. I sent my son. I've given you the church. I've given you the Bible. I've given you people who are praying for you. And you've got to walk all around these people and all around these things to keep going to hell. And people are doing it. But see, God's trying to save people. He doesn't want anyone to perish. Could he have made us a bunch of robots and poked a button and said, everybody believes? Yeah, he could have. But he didn't. He wants us to follow him and love him because we want to. In fact, Hebrews chapter 11 says that without faith, without trust, you can't please God. He wants you to trust him. And so, because of his love, he's waiting. In fact, did you know hell was not prepared for man? Matthew 25, Jesus said in Matthew 25, 41, that hell was prepared for the devil and his angels. And God's intention was for no one to go there. He didn't want that. He still doesn't want that. And so, people today... Say, well, I don't believe in a God who will do that. But see, it also says, but he, he wants them not only not to perish, but to come to repentance. Now, God is a just God. You need to understand this. The context of these two verses, verse 8 and 9, are in the, have to do with the second coming of Jesus. So why is God delaying the return of Jesus? There are people who make jokes about it. But people, but Peter's already compared this in 1 Peter chapter 3 to the days of Noah. Now, I want to share something real interesting with you. Because people say, well, I don't believe in a God that's going to kill innocent people. And a lot of people don't believe in God, don't believe in the flood because they believe, well, I don't believe in a God who, who just annihilated people without any warning. Oh, you know, he gave them plenty of warning. I want to show you something real interesting to show you the kind of God he is that compares to now. Who was the oldest man ever lived? Methuselah, 969 years. Now, a lot of people wonder, why did people live so long before the flood? And there are experts who say, well, partly because there weren't any diseases and germs like there are now and so forth and all. But, you know, I really don't, it doesn't matter to me. I still believe Methuselah will live 969 years for this reason. Methuselah was a warning. Methuselah was 187 years old when he and his wife gave birth to Lamech. Lamech was the father of Noah. Now, Methuselah, Genesis, verse, uh, Genesis 5, 25 says that, that Methuselah was 969 years when he died. Can you imagine going to Methuselah's last birthday party? I mean, the candles on his cake you could have seen for seven miles away. He was 187 years old when Lamech was born. Lamech, by the way, 
Methuselah's dad was Enoch. Enoch walked with God. Enoch was evangelist who preached righteousness. And Enoch um, evidently, Enoch was Methuselah's father. And and in those days when they named somebody, it meant something. And Methuselah's name means this. Muth means death and Shalak means to bring something. His death will bring something. His death will bring something. So it was sort of a prophecy. Methuselah was 187 when, when Lamech was born. Lamech was 182 when Noah was born. Noah was 600 years old when the flood came. Now, if you add 187 and 182 and 600, you get 969, which tells us that all the time that Methuselah lived with the name, when his death happens, something's going to happen. It will come. The Jewish Talmud basically says that Methuselah died seven days before the flood, but we know that Methuselah died right before the flood. Methuselah is a picture of God's patience for almost a thousand years on this generation that would not turn to him, and and then the flood came. It's not like God didn't give them plenty of warning. God's given us plenty of warning. The point to this is that Even though people say, well, I can't believe in a God who's going to do this and bring judgment and so forth. My friends, if you stand in the judgment without Jesus Christ, you have no excuse. You've been warned and warned and warned and warned and warned that it's going to happen. There's no limit to the power of God and his wisdom, but there is a limit to his patience. What I mean by that is there's going to come a time when he's going to say it's time. And by the way, I'm going to give you something free. That's my opinion. Okay? Did you hear that part? Those of you, I've seen a lot of you that I sleep. I'm assuming you've been praying. <laughs> I hope you've been praying. When time doesn't mean anything to God, most everyone in here has, has, I'm just going to assume it, most everyone in here, if not everyone, has had somebody in their family who knew Jesus die. They're gone. They've gone ahead of you. Have you ever thought about what they're doing while they're waiting on you? Well, first of all, they're not waiting on you. I really believe because time does not matter and things are so short that even if your loved one's been gone 50 years, that when you walk into heaven, it's like you walked in right behind them. They're probably still standing there looking at Jesus or whatever, and you're going to walk in right by. They're not sitting up there waiting on you. They're not bound by time. Time will be no more when we get home. It's just an interesting thought. I know I'm right, but I just want you to know it's my opinion. (laughs) There won't be any time there. Now, my question to you is this. 
You've been hearing this and hearing this. Some of you are watching online. Some of you in the venue, you've been hearing this. You young people have been hearing this. You folks watching on television, you've been hearing this, hearing this and hearing this and hearing this. And just because it's been 2,000 years, just remember it's only been a couple of days. And the Lord's coming back. Think about this. Most people, including me, believe the earth is only about 6,000 years old. It's only been six days since he created it. <laughs> but if you don't know Jesus, if you don't heed the warning, you got no hope. So today, you've got to repent. That means to turn and go the other direction. You place your faith not in the church, not in a person, but in Jesus Christ. I know he's a person, he's the God man, but I'm talking about a person on earth. Not in a religious leader, you put your faith. Not in a religion, not in a denomination, not in a religious leader, you put your faith in Jesus. And one day, you'll be looking for him. Just like the little boy at the escalator. I'm waiting for him to come. Let's pray. Thank you, Pastor David. In verses 8 and 9 of 2 Peter 3, the apostle gives Christians who are questioning the Lord's delay three key points to ponder. The Lord's delay is related to his limitlessness. Because he exists outside of time, his timetable is vastly different from ours. He is also delayed because of his long-suffering. God is incredibly patient with man. Why? Well, that's because of God's unfathomable love. It's his desire that no one should perish, but that all should come to repentance and faith in Christ. And that is why he has delayed his return. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. Be sure to catch our next installment of the Southcrest Live podcast. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you would like more information, to make a commitment, or to request prayer, please text the word podcast to 555-888. You can also connect with us on our Southcrest app or our website for complete worship services or to plan to visit us in person. Thanks again for listening.